Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. 710 ESPN presents The Experience with Laverne Cusack. Where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of the experience, Laverne Cusack. Cusack. One often overlooked aspect of the opioid epidemic is the connection to dental treatments. In fact, dentists and oral surgeons write 12% of all opioid prescriptions including approximately 54% of opioid prescriptions for adolescents. So what should you do if you are prescribed an opioid? What questions should you ask your dentist? Joining me today with all the answers, I'm so thrilled to speak with Dr. Michael Mermigus, Clinical Director of National Dental Opioid Policy, United Healthcare. The opioid epidemic is affecting countless lives and communities nationwide, including young adults. Did you know approximately 45% of opioid prescriptions to adolescents are made by dentists? These drugs, such as oxycodone or codeine, can be addictive and are often prescribed after wisdom teeth removal. For many young people, wisdom teeth extraction often represents their first exposure to opioid medications. To help reduce your risk of misuse or the risk for a loved one, If prescribed an opioid, ask your dentist to consider limiting prescriptions to three days. Using over-the-counter pain relievers such as a combination of ibuprofen and acetaminophen and properly disposing of all unused medications. That includes returning drugs to your pharmacy or mixing with water and an unappealing substance such as cat litter and putting in the trash. Recovery from opioid addiction requires a whole-person approach addressing clinical, social, and community influences. For more information, go to shatterproof.org. This has been a message from Shatterproof, United Healthcare, and this station. The experience never stops. Never stops. On your station, 710 ESPN. Here's Laverne Cusack. Yeah, this opioid epidemic is um, its something else. I'm, I, it is. My head's exploding. About we it. are finally, I think, turning the corner and uh, making some progress with this. Really? Yes. In what way? Well, I think what's happening is is that the number of people that are becoming addicted is is decreasing, and that's because with programs like ours at United Healthcare, we have concentrated on the age group that's most likely to become addicted. Anybody can become addicted. When I, I was a pharmacist in a previous life, and I had you know elderly patients that were addicted to Darvon, you know, and, and sleeping pills. So, but this age group, 16 to 22 Mm -hmm. is most likely to become addicted. And guess what else happens? Uh, at that age, they get their wisdom teeth out. Oh, so they get an opioid prescription um, from a dentist and, you know, they like it because, not only is it good for pain relief, uh, you get euphoria from it. And the whole world is beautiful when you take an opioid, Mm. you know, until it's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something. Did you happen to see the 
inter or the uh, documentary on Netflix about the doc- the pharmacist. Yes. Yeah, I didn't get to see that yet. Oh my goodness! At first, I was like, "Wait, where is this going?" And then <laughs> I was shocked. Yeah, that's that was something else. But the doctor that was prescribing all of these opioids, it was they call it a pill mill. Yep, we have really cracked down on them with, um, you know, with pre-authorizations for opioid prescriptions. But, you know, you know the whole key, and I don't want to get too far off the track with you, is mm-hmm. opioids really aren't the best medication for pain relief. The over-the-counter medications like ibuprofen and acetaminophen, they actually fight pain where it starts. Mm. So if you take away the substances that cause the sensation of pain and transmit it to the brain, Mm -hmm. the pain never starts. Mm. With an opioid, you know, like Vicodin, you have the pain, the pain continues, you take it, and it makes you oblivious to the pain. Mm. So you just become desensitized to the pain. So the pain is still there, so the recovery period is protracted as a result of that. You know, what's funny is, well, it's not funny, but, uh, okay. So in my, so I guess because of my ignorance. Okay. So I know there are opioids and there's, there's different types of names for opioids. So I'm not specific to what opioid means, but when you said Vicodin, I was like, Oh my God, I took a Vicodin. I did not know that was an opioid. <laughs> That's right. And, and you know, I can, you know, I was a pharmacology professor for 25 years and I recently retired. And I was, well, a little background. I started out as a, as a pharmacist. Then I went to dental school and then I became a, a pharmacology professor in a pharmacy school while I was working in my practice. But, um, you know, and that's a good point. We used to call opioids narcotics. Mm. Okay, so if you ever heard that term before, that's fallen into disuse. Oh. So an opioid is any derivative of of the opium poppy. Oh, so they were natural products. So we and you know it's one of those things you know that you can say the ancient, ancient Egyptians even used opium. You know because that's where the poppies were grown oh. there, the, the Middle East and the Near East, uh, all the way over into China. So. Morphine, heroin, uh, codeine, those are all naturally occurring opioids. And they've been used for thousands of years, a couple thousand years for for pain relief and, and, you know, for all kinds of things. Even like Mm -hmm. the ancient Greeks used them to induce sleep, you know. And, um, you know, China in the late, 1800s, early 1900s was under uh, British uh, authority. And, you know, there was the opium wars happened because of that. So, you know, opium has a very long history. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's the naturally occurring ones and then the synthetic ones, like if you ever heard of Demerol. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's synthetic. And methadone is synthetic. It's related to Demerol. And, And so... Hydrocodone, which is Vicodin, is synthetic. And when you take it, it actually is transformed in the body to a very powerful opioid called uh, hydromorphone, which is dilaudid. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah. 
it's a very potent pain medication that they used for use for cancer patients. Oh so, my goodness! So hydrocodone to get its to get its uh, effectiveness is actually transformed in the body to something much more potent. So and heroin is an opioid just like the rest of them. It's just, you know, never been used in medicine to any great extent. And so they relegated it to a special class of, of drug that's illegal, you know, that you really can't write a prescription for it. But any of the other ones just about you can't. Okay, so w- when I took the Vicodin, I was up for three days straight. I could not sleep. Is that crazy? It has that effect in some people. I was like, I thought I was supposed to feel like Jello. I'm like, uh, I'll never take it again, ever. <laughs> and the other, the other side effect is nausea. Oh. Some people get really nauseated from it. Wow, this is fascinating. So, I think a lot of people are kind. Well, well, I'm confused about it, but that you made sense, like, because I've been asking. Well, okay, what exactly is an opioid? People. People are like, well, you know, it's a very dangerous drug, but you broke it down in a way that I actually understood. <laughs> sure. And it's a, it's a perfect storm because these uh, young adults, they'll get their uh, Vicodin from the dentist or from a physician, and then uh, they like it. And then all of a sudden, it's not available anymore. So the price of heroin has come down in price. Mm. Uh, I mean, when I was in high school, it was, you know, heroin, there was always a heroin problem, but it, not like it is today. But, you know, it might have been in the 70s and, you know, $20 for a bag of heroin. Mm-hmm. Well, with inflation and everything else, heroin is about 5 to $8 for a little stamp bag now. Really? You know, 40 years later. Now, so it's really cheap in comparison, so, and it's very widely available. Now, you said heroin is an opioid, correct? It is. So is it made from the opium what, or the poppy seed? It is naturally occurring. Naturally occurring, meaning? It's, it's in that opium poppy. So that opium poppy has, um, that I was telling you about, it's one of the few regulated plants in the United States. Uh, it's illegal to have. It looks like a regular poppy that your mother might have in the backyard. Mm-hmm. But it's illegal to, to, to possess it. And and there are, you know, a number of substances in the pod of that poppy. And, you know, and some of those are uh, the opioids. So that's naturally occurring. So what about methamphetamine? Because I did an interview with um, a woman who's also in dental care. She said that people's teeth fall out with... Well, they do. And that's a whole different thing. So, so heroin... And the opioids are depressants. Uh, and the reason they kept you up is because your inhibitory system was depressed. Mm-hmm. So if you depress the, your inhibitory mechanism, it has the opposite effect and you, it activates you. And that happens in some people. Methamphetamine is a stimulant. Oh. So it causes, uh, it blocks the reuptake of of adrenaline-like substances, if you've ever heard of norepinephrine, mm-hmm. dopamine, it blocks it it blocks their breakdown in the central nervous system, so it prolongs their effects. And if you ever had uh, an adrenaline rush, mm-hmm. you know, if you ran or you know, 
lifted weights or did something like that, um, you'll get a, an adrenaline rush. Well, the, uh, the amphetamines cause, you know, a, uh, an enhanced effect of that and they keep you awake. So they're the exact opposite thing. So the amphetamines and cocaine are related. Wow. That is something. Talk about how you got into this field and what your passion was to get into it. Well, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, I started out in high school. I was in scouts, and our scoutmaster was an amazing gentleman, and he was a volunteer fireman. He was a World War II veteran. He was one of the founders of the ambulance company in our town, and and you know we would help him with all of these different public service projects, and we studied first aid constantly, and and so I got into to that when I was in high school and I was a volunteer and eventually became paid. And then I decided to become a pharmacist because I was interested in the medical medicine aspect of that. And so I went to pharmacy school and while I was in pharmacy school, I worked on the weekends as an ambulance driver and attendant. And then I was fearful of the dentist as a child as well. And when I was able to overcome my fear of dentistry, I, I, took a, a second look and was intrigued by just the profession and the art of dentistry. And so all of those things kind of came together and I've always, you know, leveraged my pharmacy pharmacology background with my dental practice. And that's how I became a professor. And later on down the road, I taught courses in dental sedation to dentists uh, wanted to do sedation in their practice. And so it all just kind of fit together. And then when I transitioned from practice uh, to begin working in, um, you know, the insurance health plan industry and took a position with United Healthcare, I, again, just relied on my knowledge of pharmacology and the, the heroin uh, opioid epidemic was occurring. And you know, we decided that, hey, I, you know, education is the part of the way to combat this, this whole crisis. So we spend a lot of time educating our dental providers in the area of pain management. And it's a focus that we have. And, and I also serve as the chief dental officer in Pennsylvania for United Healthcare. And, and um, we have courses in Pennsylvania on opioid prescribing. And they're very well received and, uh, had a lot of success getting the word out. And then I was tapped on a national level to, to become the clinical director of our national dental opioid policy. It was a natural fit. And we developed the uh, toolkit that we use for providers uh, to help them start a conversation with their patients about what their expectations are and how to manage pain after surgery. So that's how this whole thing evolved. Did you see this epidemic coming along like since you know you your background is so rich and you know about these drugs did you see that it was being over prescribed well i'll tell you how and i i you know i'd like to stay on topic with dental but that that's a great question and and i'm glad you asked and uh, i'll tell you what opened my eyes i had a torn rotator cuff in 2013 and i had a wonderful surgeon take care of it for me and she uh, offered me a prescription afterwards, and she said, listen, I don't want you to have any pain. She was being very compassionate, and she wrote me a prescription for 60 
Vicoprofen, which is a combination of ibuprofen and Vicodin. And I said, you know, I don't think this is the way to go. And, and I, and she said, well, why not? And I said, well, you know, first of all, I think it's too much. And, and, you know, I had the conversation with her about addiction and, and the thinking back then somehow was that you, you can't become addicted if you're taking it for pain. Mm. And, you know, we, we found that that's just not very accurate. Right. Anyone can become addicted, whether they're in pain or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's two types of addiction. There's physical addiction and psychological addiction. The physical addiction is when your body gets used to having a drug because you take it repetitively. So opioids show physical addiction. And if you abruptly discontinue them after having been on them for an extended period of time, your body shows signs of withdrawal. And that's shaking, uh, insomnia, yawning, photosensitivity, and panic attacks, um, amongst other things. That goes away in 72 hours. Okay, now the problem that's behind the opioid epidemic is the psychological addiction because that never goes away. That's the craving uh, for the drug. It's a psychological craving, just like somebody might crave you know, a piece of chocolate cake mm-hmm. or alcohol or gambling. So this craving is as a result of these very, these intense mediators that are released and it has to do with the, the pleasure syndrome in the, in the human body. Mm-hmm. So that causes people when they're psychologically addicted uh, to, to uh, a substance or an activity, that causes them to continue this activity in spite of negative consequences. So that is where the problem comes in into play. And that's why we see people doing things that they, you know, would normally never think of doing. Right. You know, they, they, you know, end up committing crimes, um, doing things to their families, you know, selling jewelry, uh, anything to get these drugs. And that, that's the psychological aspect of it. It's very, very difficult to treat. Um, so those are the two types of addiction. So the best way to, um, to attack this problem is to attack it where it starts. Mm-hmm. And that is at the patient's first exposure to an opioid. And so when that 16 or 17 year old goes in to have wisdom teeth taken out, there are a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've taken third molars out in my 30 years of dental practice, wisdom teeth, and, In the majority of them, I used ibuprofen Mm -hmm. uh, postoperatively and very rarely had to use opioids. And it's not that there's no place for an opioid to be prescribed. Uh, There definitely is, but we consider them to be used in cases of what we call breakthrough pain. So you have a patient on a non-opioid like ibuprofen or naproxen or a combination of ibuprofen and, and acetaminophen or Tylenol, and then you have them on that around the clock for several days after the surgery. If they would have breakthrough pain, though, if, if that was not be able to take care of all the pain, that's when the patient would take the opioid. Is there a topical 
pain relief for dental care? Well, there is, but that topical pain relief really doesn't have a long duration. Oh. But there are local anesthetics that can be used, and that's like the Novocaine numbing medicine. We use lidocaine and other medications now to actually numb an area. Mm -hmm. And a a lot of dentists will use a long-acting version of that local anesthetic uh, to you know, give the patient anywhere from four or five to almost 12 to 24 hours of post-operative pain relief. And the essence is, is to prevent the patient from experiencing that first pain. Mm-hmm. And that can be done with non-opioids for sure. Why are teenagers uh, especially susceptible to opioid abuse? Well, I think that first of all, it's their first exposure their brains are still developing, and uh, there is um, a little bit of daredevil at that age. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a daredevil kind of thing that, that uh, you know, invincibility. Right. It the, can't happen to me. The risk, uh, the they take more risk than if you were older. <laughs> That's right. Correct. Dr. Michael Mermigas, Clinical Director of National Dental opioid policy for United Healthcare. So when a parent brings their child in to get you know, their wisdom teeth pulled, what are some things that can help parents and patients understand options beforehand? Well, our toolkit is really helpful and um, it's available at newsroom.uhc.com under the opioids tab. And we share this toolkit with dentists across the country, uh, and it opens a conversation with the parents, and and it helps to. There's a, it's a checklist, and you know it helps to shed some light on what the post-operative expectations are. If the patient would like to go back to school, you know, sooner, have uh, a, a speedier recovery, uh, less missed work. Uh, a non-opioid is the way to go. Uh, opioids generally will increase the recovery period, and uh, you know all of the effects of the opio- that the opioids have: the nausea, um, you know, it, they cause drowsiness, all of those things. Uh, the patients can't drive; uh, th- that can all be avoided with drugs that are actually at least as effective or more effective than opioids, and that's over-the-counter ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to create this toolkit? Well, we used the Center for Disease Control Guidelines uh, to develop the toolkit, and it was a process uh, that took over several months. You know, we uh, based it on the available scientific knowledge and recommendations of the Center uh, for Disease Control, uh, which is you know, essentially the authority in the United States on on managing uh, pain and the opioid crisis. And, uh, you know, we, uh, after we developed this, this toolkit, we uh, took steps to introduce it to our providers, uh, especially those that were outliers in prescribing. So how do we go about saying, okay, I'm, I do not want 60 pills, <laughs> opioid pills, but maybe they're still using them. Um, Because isn't it, you can't have it for three days, and then after the third day, that's 
increases your chances of becoming addicted to an opioid? Well, it does. And so, um, you know, we have uh, our pharmacy benefits uh, company within United Healthcare, Optum RX. Uh, we work with them and we have uh, a policy that limits prescriptions for first-time users in this age group to three days and less than 50 morphine equivalents per day. And so that's, that's one thing that we do. Limiting the supply is another thing. And opening that discussion with, with alternative uh, types of medications like the over-the-counter ones I mentioned. Those are all of the things that, you know, we'd like to start the conversation. If, if a patient does not want to have an opioid, then a discussion should happen with, with their dentist. Right. And I love and how... to discuss the other options. I love how you're talking about how, you know, you're so knowledgeable about the drugs and, you know, prescribing stuff. And you were able to have that information when the doctor says, oh, here's 60 days. And you're like, wait a second. Let me let me talk this out. Some people, they're, they're like, oh, this is my dentist. My dentist knows what's right for me. Well, that's correct. It's doctors. It's a pedestal, pedestal professions um, where, you know, a lot of the public is not used to questioning and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever their doctor tells them to do. Uh, and, and another point we need to make is that, you know, a patient should not um, feel like they have to finish the prescription. Mm-hmm. So, you know, limit the supply. Um, proper disposal is important. If, you know, there are leftover medications, uh, they should be disposed of properly. And that means taking them back to the pharmacy or a drug take-back day or giving them to law enforcement. Uh, and if you want to do it at home, you can get a Ziploc bag, you put the unused medication in, uh, add water, shake it up, and then add a noxious substance like kitty litter or uh, coffee, you know, use coffee grounds to it so that, you know, when you put it into the trash, uh, there's no chance that it could end up in the wrong place. Oh. Um, yeah, what you don't want to do is flush it or put it down the drain so that it enters community water supply. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right. Don't do That's that. always a risk. <laughs> yeah, and any medication, not just opioids, but... That's interesting. So, okay, so you have all these resources. And again, one thing that I stress on this show is accountability for oneself, your health, your family's health. Um, so I, th- I think that's great. And another doctor was on the show and, and I asked, well, when your patients question you or ask questions, is that annoying for you? And he was like, no, I, I love it. I love it to provide the information. So if you have a doctor that gets upset when you ask questions, you need to get another doctor, right? That's correct. You know, I agree with uh, the doctor you mentioned. Um, you know, we try to engage patients uh, and, you know, it it makes our jobs easier if there's a line of communication open because if something that is on the patient's mind and they don't share it, it mm-hmm. can alter the course of treatment. So, so we do encourage, we, we, all, all good doctors want to hear from their patients. They teach us in medical school and dental school 
uh, the most valuable tool you have is your ears. You listen, listen to the patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you do that, sometimes the patients are, you're able to hear something that may be uh, a flag or something. So you're, so then you're Absolutely. A- able to ask more questions. Sure. And save lives just like you're doing now. Absolutely. So, we can take control of our care by asking questions. Uh, if we're bringing our son or daughter to the uh, to the dentist, what is going to be prescribed? How many days? And then what is the process afterwards? So usually, is it if they do take opioids, like it's for three days, and then they start on ibuprofen, or how did they go about? transitioning off of those. Okay. So what we would like to have happen and what's recommended is that the patient takes the non-opioid even before the surgery to get, to get it into their bloodstream and their system. Okay. And so during the surgery, and again, this is something that would have to be discussed with the doctor to see if it's okay. But during the surgery, those pain medications, the non-opioid pain medications, are actually working already. And then uh, I would instruct my patients, when you go home, we'd, gi- we'd give them ibuprofen right at the end of their appointment with some water, and i tell them, when you go home, in four hours, I want you to take some more ibuprofen with acetaminophen, uh, whether you feel pain or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then on a you know repeat that on a regular basis, and you could actually have patients that run their surgery course without needing an opioid if that's the way it's done. Uh, so again, we you know the opioids are available for the first three days. That doesn't mean the patient has to take them. Mm-hmm. So they should be relying on the non-opioid drugs to carry most of the weight for pain relief. Can you talk about? mixing of drugs and what we should look out for? Sure. Do you mean uh, mixing like an opioid with another drug or do you mean Uh, mixing opioids and other pain medications? Yes, in other pain medications. Okay. So what we would like to see happen is maximize the dose of the -the over-the-counter ibuprofen with acetaminophen and then adding the opioid when there's what we call breakthrough pain. So if if my patient has their, their wisdom teeth out, mm-hmm. I have them on, I'm going to say, okay, I want you to take 400 milligrams or two Advil and one regular strength Tylenol every four hours. And then if you have pain, I want you to omit the Tylenol and take, you know, take a Vicodin or Tylenol with codeine along with your ibuprofen when you feel the pain. So that's how we mix medications. Okay. We use it to our to the patient's advantage. Now, the other thing that you have to be concerned about, though, is, is that, you know, obviously there are drug interactions with the opioids, and that could, you know, patients shouldn't drink alcohol or take other depressant kinds of drugs like, you know, Xanax or, or any, you know, uh, even cold medication, some cold medicines like oh. antihistamines, like Benadryl, diphenhydramine, 
that's a bad mix. Oh, oh. So, okay. so there are drug interactions there. Right. It will probably what cause drowsiness or. Sure, it can cause uh, an additive effect, so they can get more uh, more drowsiness than either drug alone. So overall, why do we get our wisdom teeth pulled? Well, generally, there is uh, not enough room for them to come in, and that's the number one reason. So, you know, those are, we call them third molars Mm -hmm. in the dental profession. So you already have your six-year molar, your 12-year molar, then you have your third molar. A lot of uh, jaws are not big enough for those teeth to come in. So, and, you know, without getting, you know, into too much of the background, it's probably part of the evolutionary process, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so they come in and they can cause pain because there's not enough room and then they can cause infections. Uh, and that's why they, you know, we recommend uh, that the wisdom teeth be removed. But that's mm-hmm. another conversation to have with the dentist, mm-hmm. you know, as to whether they need to come 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 out or not. So after we get our wisdom teeth pulled, I know on your website, again, newsroom.uhc.com, uh, you have some steps in the toolkit. Uh, so the we take the first step, and then you have an, another chart. You make personal goals. Can you talk about Correct. that? Yes. So you... You know, you want to ask the patients, you know, have a discussion with the, with the doctor and with their parent. Um, what's your expectation? What goal? What's my goal? I want to be back to work and or back to school in, you know, two days. Or am I going to have my wisdom teeth out on a Friday and go back to school on Monday or go to church on Sunday? Um, or do I have to work? So, you know, you want to say, all right, you know, I want to miss the least amount of school as possible. So I want to be completely, you know, uh, functional in two days. Mm-hmm. And, and then you take that, and then that's how you decide, all right, how am I going to get there? And, uh, again, the best answer to that is, is a non-opioid. Mm-hmm. So when you take in all of the goals that somebody might have, uh, the best fit to achieve those goals is a non-opioid. And then we talk about what we said before is to speak up, to better support you. You and your dental professional need to hear your thoughts. So, are, Right. So if you're still having pain after three days, mm-hmm. then it's probably not as a direct result of the surgery. There's probably a complication. So there's probably, there could be a dry socket or an infection. Oh, right. So we need to know right. about that. Yeah, that happened to my friend, actually. Absolutely, it can happen. And some people are just prone to having a dry socket. Um, you know, others, you know, there are things that, you know, you can do that would cause a dry socket to come come into play. You know, drinking through a straw, smoking cigarettes, or you know, using tobacco, uh, vaping, um, you know, you know, drinking hot beverages, um, a lot of those things can cause a dry socket. And we talked about, you know, appropriate uses of pain relief. And then 
uh, post-treatment instructions? Because I, I just see a cold compress on the side of my, my face. <laughs> right. So, and that's the way to go. So cold, cold compresses, um, you know, uh, don't lie all the way back. You know, prop, prop your head up after surgery. Um, you don't want to rinse um, right away. You know, for the first 24 to 48 hours, you want to uh, um, perhaps just get a swab, oh. and clean the area gently. Oh, you don't wash or rinse with salt, salt water? That maybe that, that happens after the first day or two. Oh, you don't okay. want to dislodge that clot oh, that forms to, to heal. That that's my memory of getting my wisdom teeth pulled. <laughs> right, and then it's encouraged after after you have, you know, the healing process started and you have a nice clot where the tooth was. Mm-hmm. Then salt water is fine. Yeah, salt water rinses are fine, but cold cold packs, ice packs are very good. Um, and again, like I said, not laying all the way back, uh, propping the head up or sitting in a chair, if possible in a reclined position, is also uh, recommended. Talk about your passion for teaching. I just have always enjoyed sharing my knowledge. I enjoyed, and and I think I think I've been a lifelong learner, mm. and I'm interested in always learning more. And uh, by teaching. And sharing what I know, I actually, I am learning right along with the students. Right. And, and I have always learned by asking myself questions. Yes. So, you know, I, I teach something and I'll, I'll, in the back of my mind, I'll think, no, okay, let's peel back the layers here. What makes this the way it is? And if you do that, it enriches the learning process. So, so teaching has always been one of my passions mm-hmm. uh, and... Um, I think one of the the hallmarks of being a good teacher is realizing that no one knows everything. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. And I mean, and I think that helps uh, the students as well because they, they know, and it feels like maybe you guys are learning together, even though you're the expert, you're still open to learning more. Right. And, and again, this is one of those situations when you mentioned students, you want to be approachable, so you want the students to feel free to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Because generally, if a student, one student has a question, several others do as well. Yes, yes. I was always the one that was asking the questions in, in class. <laughs> well, professors take note of that uh, <laughs> in a positive way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so with this opioid epidemic, I know we, we talked about meth. Does the opioids also affect the teeth? Well, not directly. But what happens is that, you know, when someone is addicted, they pretty much let everything else go. Oh, right. And that would include the teeth. And the teeth, we know, are the direct line to the heart. So if something's wrong in your mouth, um, let's say infection, it just right. goes right into your bloodstream. It can. That's right. And it causes inflammation. And that, that actually can cause the breakdown of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we know that uh, dental infections uh, wreak havoc in patients that are diabetics. 
people with heart disease. Um, you know, there are uh, low birth weights in pregnant pregnant women. We can we can scientifically tie all those back to the poor oral hygiene. Interesting. It starts in the mouth, right? It does. The experience never stops. Never stops on your station, seven ten ESPN. So, where do you see, or do you see the opioid crisis? You know, d- diminishing. I mean, I know you were talking about this toolkit kit has helped. Do you see it? The information well, getting out there more, or I do. In our population, we saw an eighty nine percent decrease in the number of opioid prescriptions written in this age group. So I, I think that is a positive step forward, and I think that uh, a lot of the states have developed prescription drug monitoring programs where you can't a, a, a doctor can't prescribe an opioid without going into a database and seeing if the patient is getting them somewhere else, mm-hmm. and then limiting the number of days. Uh, again, very important. So all of those things. Limiting availability and education uh, combined, um, and that includes discussion of alternative methods of treating the pain. All of those things, I think, have, I think we've come a long way already. Not far enough, but a long way uh, in combating the opioid crisis. Yes. So I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, again, how can we find out more about the toolkit and get more information on what we should do when taking our teenagers to get their wisdom teeth pulled? Well, I think the best thing to do is to have a conversation with a pharmacist, an uh, excellent resource, your dentist, another excellent resource, and then and then our website, newsroom.uhc.com and look at under the opioids tab and I think all three of those things are going to be important yes I am so thrilled that I had the opportunity to speak with you today thank you so much thank you Dr. Michael Mermigas clinical director of national dental opioid policy for United Healthcare such a joy thank you so much thank you I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. Health threat anywhere is a health threat everywhere. I'm Dr. Phil. A new coronavirus outbreak called COVID-19 started in China and is spreading to many countries, including the U.S. It's critical to get the facts about how to protect our friends and loved ones. While CDC is working with states and communities to stop the spread of the virus, health workers and emergency response efforts need our support. The CDC Foundation, a nonprofit organization, is focusing on immediate and critical needs that help protect our communities here at home and those around the world. We can all play a role in stopping this deadly virus. Get updates, learn how to protect your friends and family, and find out how to help. Go to cdcfoundation.org. That's cdcfoundation.org. Together, our impact is greater. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by the CDC Foundation. The experience never stops. Never stops. On your station, 710 ESPN. Here's Laferne Cusack.
United Healthcare took multiple steps to limit teens' exposure and inform dentists, patients, and parents about opioid medications, including creating the public toolkit, which focused on the connection between opioids and dental care, adopted a pharmacy policy that limits all first-time opioid prescriptions for people age 19 and under to no more than three days and fewer than 50 morphine milligram equivalents per day. They identified dental health professionals in United Healthcare's network to consistently prescribe opioids outside the CDC guidelines, informed dental plan participants by email about the risk associated with opioids, specifically in connection to wisdom tooth extraction, and they produced uh, TV and radio public service announcements, uh, definitely getting the word out. Dr. Mermigas suggested asking your dentist the following questions. If you or a loved one are planning to have your wisdom teeth removed for or any oral surgery. One, do I really need to use opioids to manage my pain? Are there alternatives to managing pain and what are they? Will any of the medications I am currently taking interact poorly with opioids? And how do I properly dispose of unused opioids? Make sure you follow the directions from your dentist or doctor for pain management. And you can learn more about what United Healthcare is doing to address the opioid epidemic on their website. I'm LaFern Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. You've been listening to The Experience with Laverne Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laverne Cusack on 710 ESPN.